only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Good thing, little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be
Good morning. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with every single one of y'all. Uh, I would ask that all of y'all come uh, to your feet and as we praise the Lord today, uh, before we start uh, worshiping the Lord in song, we're going to worship Him with uh, scripture reading. And it's going to come from Psalm 103. Uh, we're going to read from verses 6 through 11. And as we read this passage, notice the language that's taken from Exodus and how uh, the psalmist recalls the words of the Lord as He revealed Himself to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. Okay, and that's, that's the language that the psalmist remembers and how the Lord is faithful to his covenant, to his people. And we can see the faithfulness of God through Christ Jesus to us, right? And we can see the love that the Lord has given us. And let us read together this wonderful psalm. Scripture says, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. 
He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Join with me in prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you. We see through Scripture that you love us and that the love for us is through Jesus Christ. It's demonstrated through his sacrifice and through his perfect life. And that on that cross, he took our place. Though we were worthy of death and eternal condemnation, it pleased you, O Lord, to reveal your love to us. And Lord, we ask that you would change us and mold us to become more like Christ, that we may demonstrate this love unto our brothers and sisters in Christ and unto our neighbors, and most importantly, unto you, O God. We thank you, Lord, and we celebrate your love in this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, let us sing of the love of the Father today.
Father of the love for us and as we mentioned earlier the demonstration of God's love is through Jesus Christ and we can sing of how vast the love of Jesus is for us and how deep how wide and how long how sure how sweet and how strong
Almighty God. We're going to do another reflective reading today. It's going to come from Romans chapter 5. And it's speaking of the demonstration of God's love for us. I'm going to ask to see if my son is here. Is he here? No, he's not. Oh, yes, there he is. Come on up, son. This is my son, and we're going to do a reflective question and an answer as based off Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Son, are you worthy of the love of God? No, because I am a sinner, worthy of God's wrath. So then how do we know that God loves us? Wonderful. And what benefit do we have out of Christ's death? Even though I am a sinner, I am declared innocent, and I am safe from God's wrath through Christ's death. And what other benefit do we have out of Christ's death and life? I am at peace with God, and all is good. And son, do you love the Lord? Yes, I love the Lord. Let us read together Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11, where we read, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let us sing together at the cross. Where's 
glory and praise and honor be to the name of Jesus. And the church says, amen. You may be seated. This week, we are going to be learning how to love others the way Jesus did. We're going to be reading from this book, God's Very Good Idea. In the beginning, in fact, before the beginning, God had a very good idea. It was an even better idea than chocolate chip cookies invented in 1938. God's idea was to make people, lots of people, lots of different people who would all enjoy loving him and all enjoy loving each other. They would all be made in his image. They would all be like mirrors reflecting what God is like. Because God is full of love, they would be full of love too. So God got to work. He made a beautiful world for people to live in. Then he made the first people a man and a woman, and he said to them, Be happy. Enjoy loving me and loving each other. Have a huge family that will fill the earth and look after the earth and enjoy the earth. God carried on creating people. All of them were made in his image, and all of them were different, too. We live in God's world. We are all different, but we are also all the same. Everyone you see is different than you and the same as you. They might look different or speak different or play different, but they are all made in God's image, and so they are all valuable. This is God's very good idea. But people ruined God's very good idea. The first people chose not to love God. This is called sin. as they should. We are all the same. We chose not to love God. And so we are not able to love each other like we should. We sin. Sometimes we treat others badly because they are different than us. People fight with each other. People are mean to each other. People laugh at each other. Because we have ruined God's very good idea, He is not pleased with us. Our sin means we can't be friends with Him or enjoy loving Him. We need God's forgiveness for ruining His very good idea. It's the same for everyone in the world. But God was not surprised by people ruining things. He had always had a good idea to rescue His very good idea. So God got to work. He came to earth as a person. Jesus. Jesus loved people who were different than him. He loved people who no one else loved. He always enjoyed loving all the different people he met. Jesus shows us how to enjoy loving each other. But people didn't love Jesus. In fact, they hated him. They put him on a cross to die. But this was part of God's plan. On the cross, 
Jesus took our sin so that we can be forgiven. Jesus forgives his people for their sins. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose back to life and then went back to live in heaven. And then he gave people his spirit to help them enjoy loving him and loving all the different people they know. Jesus helps us to love each other. Jesus welcomes anyone who asks him to forgive them. And when Jesus welcomes someone, he welcomes them into his family forever. God's family is called the church. Your church friends are your brothers and sisters, your wonderful and colorful church family. You can enjoy loving them and loving God with them. This is God's very good idea. Lots of different people loving him and loving each other. God made it, people ruined it, he rescued it, and he will finish it. And with your church family, you can enjoy being part of it right now. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Wouldn't it be great if that's how people describe the American church? You know, no matter what you do to those Christians, they just seem to love you back. Why are these words of Jesus seemingly ignored by so much of the American church? Why isn't love the number one characteristic on the list of how the world could describe us? Now granted, these statements that Jesus makes that I just read to you are radical. They're countercultural, but they're the core of the Christian ethic. So why is it that Jesus' followers aren't most known for loving their enemies. Why are American Christians, anyway, more notorious for name-calling, intolerance, judgment, warmongering? Why do people seem to be more passionate about loving their country, something Jesus never commanded, more than loving their enemies, something Jesus did command? I realize that over the years... There are dozens of people who have uh, told me that they have brought their gun to church. Almost all of them were in a non-threatening way that they shared that information. The number of people who have told me, Pastor, I've brought my enemy to church, zero. And I'll believe revival is coming when those numbers even out a bit. Jesus addresses these words from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. He addresses them to those who aren't just the casual listener, but those who are listening, those who are hearing, those who are willing and ready to take seriously what it means to be part of the kingdom that Jesus is announcing. I know that uh, some of you probably don't hear. 
you may believe, but you might not pay very much attention at all to these impossible words of Jesus. And they are impossible. They're abnormal. They're ridiculous. But Jesus said them. Now before we dive into what it means to love your enemy, I I want you to uh, hear from me something that you should already know, and that is loving your enemies will not get you to heaven. Not in any way, shape, or form. Loving enemies is not payment for your salvation. It is rather proof that you are saved. It, It doesn't, loving your enemies doesn't, earn the forgiveness of God. It is evidence that you've received the forgiveness of God in Christ. Now the very first thing you must do to be accepted by God is to admit that you are God's enemy. You are God's enemy. And that while you were His enemy, He reached out in love to you. To understand that you don't measure up and you can never measure up on your own Because you are, Scripture says, dead in sin, helpless, desperately in need of a Savior. When you turn to Christ as the only remedy for your sin, His sacrificial death in your place, His glorious resurrection from the grave, that is the only path to life. And only then are you washed clean, set free, made new, adopted as God's child, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And if that is who you are, then Jesus says, now, love your enemies. Now, that's not possible for you to love your enemy unless you were once God's enemy and you've been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. It's not possible to love your enemies unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit like Jesus. Now, last week, that was our focus, and we covered who can be spirit-powered and why you need to be spirit-powered and how to be spirit-powered like Jesus. And if that's who you are, go love your enemies. The the love here, Jesus uses the word agape, uh, the, the same love, this agape love, the same love that God showed to you while you were his enemy. New Testament scholar Walt Liefeld says that this agape love is understood in its classic Christian sense of having a genuine concern for someone irrespective of their attractiveness or likelihood of any reciprocation. So let me say that in different terms. In other words, this agape love isn't deserved. This agape love gives without respecting anything, expecting anything in return. Jesus says, have that kind of love for your enemy. So I see these two verses, 27 and 28, as Jesus' outline for what it means to love your enemy. What we have here are a whole bunch of imperatives. And imperatives about how to love your enemy. Imperatives are not options. Imperatives are non-negotiable commands. The first imperative is love your enemy. And then there is this outline of imperatives of what that looks like, what that sounds like. So we're going to start with this outline that Jesus gives in these two verses, and then we'll go through the rest of our passage, which I see as illustrations that Jesus gives as to what it means to live out the imperatives to love your enemy. 
So, how do you love your enemies? Well, the first part of that outline says, Jesus says, do good to the haters. Do good to the haters. The hater is the guy who's hostile toward you. It's uh, the woman who is obvious by how she treats you that she doesn't like you very much. It might, might be a sneer, a, a mocking tone, a look of contempt. He has a grudge against you. She's bitter about you. They've never forgiven you. They, they're unpleasant. They're nasty. They're unfair, dismissive, rude, unfriendly. How do you respond to that kind of treatment? Somebody who looks at you, treats you that way. Do good, Jesus says. Do good. Now that doesn't mean, let me tell you, it does not mean just think kind thoughts about them. That doesn't mean simply forgive them from your heart. It doesn't mean simply to actually do something tangible for that person. Something good. That, that word, do, it is, means to produce, to provide, to make something that is, Jesus says, good. Kalos is the Greek word, and it means beneficial. So actually do something beneficial for the hater. Take action that the hater would see as undeniably a good thing. So it's not just something you think is good, it's something that the, the one who hates you would recognize this is good. It's not a backhanded goodness. It's not like, well, I've paid for you to see an anger management specialist kind of good. No, it's you bring meals when they're sick. You, you greet them with genuine warmth. You send them a gift card for their birthday. You, you give them a ride when the car breaks down. Do good to the haters. Second, bless the name callers. Bless them. The, the, the name callers, those who curse, Jesus says. And this word refers to somebody who swears at you, first of all. So it's the other driver who tells you to do something anatomically impossible to yourself. It's the customer who calls you horrible names. It's the guy on the other team who questions your parentage. It's the online bully who trolls and belittles and threatens, humiliates you. It could even go so far, this word curse, it could even go so far as somebody who actually pronounces a curse on you, a, a hex, a jinx, a spell. To those people who, who make rude gestures at you, who spew vulgarities, who yell names at you, speak blessing over them. Actually ask God to do good things in their life. Not a kind of twisted blessing like may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits. Not that kind of blessing. Eulogete is the Greek word for bless here. And that's where we get our word eulogize. Where you say good things over someone. You pronounce good words, like, may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. That's a, a blessing. So what about the ex-spouse who's bad-mouthing you to the children? Can you speak blessing over him? Can you pronounce good words over her? How about that former employee who's telling lies about your business? Or the student who's trashing you online? 
the ex-friend who's spreading rumors, or the politician who insults, incites, offends. Speak blessing over them. Third, pray for the abusers. That's the right word. Jesus talks about those who mistreat you. That, that's what that means. It's somebody who abuses you verbally or physically. It's that person who threatens you with violence. Uh, the woman who insults you in a dehumanizing way. The guy who uses you for his own gain. It's the online scammer. It's somebody who manipulates you, who exploits you, who tries to ruin your reputation. I read an article just recently of a woman who has been destroying people's lives online. That's how she's invested her life. People have done nothing. She accuses them of all sorts of things. And they can't do anything about it legally. That's the person who's an abuser. People who degrade, brutalize, assault, misuse you. Jesus says, speak to God for them. And the prayer that you speak is not send them to hell. The prayer that you speak is not let the angel of fiery judgment visit them at midnight tonight. No, it's the same type of prayer Jesus prayed for those who brutalized him. Those who beat him, nailed him to a cross, sneered and mocked at him. And what was his prayer? Father, forgive them. Heidi Newmark is part of a church in the South Bronx. And uh, one of the things that she does, there are kids whose families won't bring them to Sunday school. So Heidi's one of those people who goes around and picks up kids to bring them to Sunday school, church. She stopped by nine-year-old Shanna's house and found Shanna crying and her nose bleeding all over her Sunday dress. It's my Uncle Joe, Shanna said. Her drug-addicted uncle had moved in with the family and was causing all sorts of problems. For instance, at Christmas time, Shanna's dreams of owning a bicycle had come true. The church donated a shiny blue bike and Shanna treasured it. She rode it everywhere for almost a month and then Uncle Joe sold the bike to buy drugs. That should embitter any nine-year-old. Now on this very Sunday morning, Uncle Joe had come home from a late night and he was wearing a shirt that said, say no to drugs and Shanna couldn't help herself and she said, why don't you read your own shirt? and its white collar. And since everybody else was asleep and Shanna didn't have another dress, Heidi just drove her to church and helped wash out the bloodstains. And during the prayer time in the service, Shanna spoke out loud and clear. She said, I pray for my Uncle Joe. He needs your help, Lord. Please, Jesus, help my uncle. Now if God can give a nine-year-old the spiritual strength to pray for someone who abused her, he can give it to you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And that's how Christians are really to live. So there's the three-point outline I believe Jesus gives in these two verses about how to love your enemy. Do good to the haters, bless the name-callers, pray for the abusers. 
And what Jesus says next, I think, are examples of, or illustrations of what this looks like in real life. So let me read the, the rest of the passage. doesn't want to come up on the screen. There we go. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. So I would sum up these examples Jesus gives into two aphorisms. And here's the first one. Revenge is not an option. Revenge isn't an option. When somebody wrongs you, don't retaliate, Jesus says. And yet that's the basic human response and reaction. It's payback. It's getting even. But that's not part of the the gospel ethic. It's very countercultural. It's very un-American to not want revenge. I mean, I've How can I say here in Texas, don't remember the Alamo? But I just said it. Do you recall how Jesus was smacked across the face? John 18, 22. At his illegal trial, Jesus said something and an official struck him. Rapisma is the Greek word. It it means to hit with a stick or with a hand. This was not a gentle tap. This was not a... Come away. This was a pow. This was a blow. And Jesus didn't say, you know, smack the other side too. But he responded with grace and without anger or retaliation. You see, Jesus showed what it means to actually turn the other cheek. It's when you've been treated with humiliation and hostility, when you've been hated, when you've been rejected, get ready to be hit again. Don't retaliate. Love doesn't retaliate. Love doesn't hate when it's hit here's the other aphorism generosity is unconditional it's unconditional so that when you give to someone you don't put conditions on your gift you don't attach strings any strings at all you don't make exception expectations to this you know the normal human standard for loan is repayment getting back what you gave and more That's not the ethic of Jesus. He says, don't demand anything in return. So let me tell you, there was a guy years ago that as the the more we worked together, the less I enjoyed being around him for a variety of reasons. And he caused a great deal of stress in my life and the lives of others. And his life was an ongoing drama upon drama upon drama. And he was very skilled, because he's an intelligent guy, very skilled at offending you in a way that you had to think about it for a while and you realized, ah, that compliment was really an insult. And, and so over the course of time, I mean, I problem-solved in his life many, many times, more than I can count. Over the course of time, I began to realize, and only as I think about it in the, 
it was an enemy. I wouldn't call him an enemy. He wouldn't identify, I don't think, identify himself as an enemy. But really, that's how he was responding. We'll talk about that in a moment. But one time, he was in dire financial need. Not a huge, huge amount of money, but it was needed right then. And, and I had saved that exact amount of money. And um, I just felt prompted to give it to him. And you know what? It took me at least a month, maybe a couple, to realize that although I had handed him the money, I was still holding a string that I had attached to it. And you know what the string was? It was I was expecting him to change. I was expecting him to be grateful and that that gratitude would bring a new attitude and it did not in any way, shape, or form. And so I was actually practicing the opposite of what Jesus commands here. The gift must be unconditional. If God prompts you to give, then you don't attach strings to it. Expect nothing in return. That's love. That's love. Now again, this is not how you become God's child. This is how you demonstrate your identity as God's child. You you don't demonstrate your identity as God's child with a doctrinal statement or with a t-shirt or with a hat or a slogan. It's how you treat the opposition. Those who hate you. Those you see as enemies. Now it's at this point that many different expositors and commentators try to lessen what Jesus says, lessen the demands. And and so they say much of this is hyperbole. Uh, Much of this is not to be taken literally. Uh, uh, John MacArthur says that. Uh, uh, Hendrickson says that. Others, Goldeneyes and others. I reject that idea. I reject the idea that this is hyperbole. I reject the idea that this is not to be taken literally that Jesus didn't intend that. I I think he did intend it in this way. All you need to do is simply interpret Jesus' words in light of all other biblical instruction. That's what needs to happen. And so let let me put it this way, that when it says revenge is not an option, that love doesn't retaliate, well, non-retaliation doesn't mean that lawbreakers and abusers should escape justice. We've got all kinds of scripture about that. So that means you can protect your loved ones from harm. That doesn't mean you can become a law enforcement officer or join the military as God leads. You can be protected under the law. You can seek legal justice and recourse. Criminals should be punished. Scripture allows all of that. But Jesus urges us to go against our reflexive instinct for retaliation. And that's our instinct. Most of us are far too eager for revenge. We're particularly protective about our personal rights. Jesus calls us to an extreme willingness to give up our rights in this revenge-seeking world that we live in. Well, let's look at the other one. Too far. That generosity is unconditional. That love gives expecting nothing. But that giving must be in line with good stewardship, not neglecting your family or financial obligations. Plenty of scripture to back that up. Giving to anyone who asks must be balanced with other responsibilities. So you can't be generous and then not pay your rent. You you can't be generous and then refuse to care for your widowed mother. You can't uh, be generous with other people and then uh, refuse to help your immediate family. You're worse than an infidel. As God enables you to give, be generous even to the homeless guy who might spend it on booze or meth. You can give to the single mom who's working three part-time jobs just to keep a roof over a kid's head. 
Jesus urges us to go against our reflexive instinct to reserve, to withhold. Jesus calls us to be an extreme example of generosity in a tight-fisted world. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, we need to be reminded, well, who are our enemies? Well, there are obvious enemies. Um, those who try to hurt you, those who stalk you, violate you, steal from you, do damage to you, even destroy you. Those are the most visible, hostile enemies. You could probably identify them. Jesus says, love them. Whatever they take from you, however they harm you, love them in those ways that he outlined. And then there are the less obvious enemies. I, I would, the fellow I told you about earlier, I would say a less obvious enemy, somebody I wouldn't even call an enemy. You, you might not think of this person as an enemy, but it's somebody who repeatedly goes against you, your desires. They're difficult, they're defiant, they're antagonistic. That kind of enemy can be a rebellious child. It might be an uncaring, ill-tempered, indifferent husband. She might be a disagreeable, selfish, demanding neighbor who complains about everything that you do. Your enemy might be an acquaintance who offends you unintentionally with harsh opinions or ill-informed views. It might be a relative who questions your judgment and, and criticizes your choices. An enemy is anyone who does not show love to you. Love your enemies. Allow Christ's power to so transform you on the inside that that's really possible. Now, Thomas Merton, the spiritual writer, not someone that uh, there are all kinds of problems I have with, had with his theology, but I read something that he wrote that convicted me on this subject. Let me read it to you. Do not be too quick to assume that your enemy is an enemy of God just because he's your enemy. Perhaps he's your enemy precisely because he can find nothing in you that gives glory to God. Perhaps he fears you because he can find nothing in you of God's love and God's kindness. Don't be too quick to condemn the man who no longer believes in God, for it is perhaps your own coldness and greed and mediocrity and selfishness that killed his faith. So really it turns the, the finger back at us and when we think of those who might be our enemies and to say, well, am I living in such a way that shows love. So as a follower of Jesus, what will you do to obey his word today? To hear today. You must take positive action toward the one who opposes you. Action. Not, not think better thoughts, simply. Not just forgive. For, take positive action. That's the word of Jesus here toward those who oppose you. That's not normal. And the one who is able to do this demonstrates her identity as a daughter of the Most High. The one who is able to do this demonstrates his identity as a son of the Most High. Jesus says you can tell whether a person is a true disciple by how they treat the people who offend them the most. So here's an extreme example. Tamerlan Sarnev was the older of the two brothers responsible for the Boston Marathon bombing. Tamerlan is the brother who died in the process of the chase. 
a controversy arose what to do with his body. The, the funeral parlor that, parlor that was holding his body had protesters outside. Uh, there were signs, all kinds of, one of those signs read, bury the garbage in the landfill. And the city manager of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where Tam, Sarnoff lived, said he wouldn't allow him to, to be buried in the city. And there was no cemetery willing to allow Tamerlan's body to be buried, fearing the public outcry. Well, Martha Mullen was sitting in a Starbucks a far distance away in Virginia when she heard this news. And her first thought was, Jesus says, love your enemies. Maybe I'm somebody who needs to do something. And so Martha began to research Islamic funeral services and eventually located a Muslim cemetery in Virginia that would accept Tamerlan's body. Martha felt this was the way to live out her faith, and what she did created controversy, and people hated her and abused her for this. And all she did was repeat that Jesus said, love your enemies, not to hate them even after they're dead. So I want you to think about someone who might be your most dangerous adversary, your worst nightmare, the opposite of everything you hold dear. And by the way, that person is never the real enemy. They are always the mission field. I want you to think about that person who you might not think of as an enemy, and yet you realize upon reflection that that's how they act in your life, and maybe that's how you think of them, and to realize that they are not the real enemy, they are always the mission field. And to that person, demonstrate the love of Jesus that speaks the gospel into their lives, no matter how they treat you. Don't allow the evil done to you to overwhelm you, but rather overwhelm the evil with undeniable goodness. That's not normal. But it's the word of Jesus. It's not only countercultural, it's supernatural. It's something only children of the Most High can do. Let's pray. Lord, I would ask that right now you would help everyone here who is listening, who hears you, to identify an enemy. And by your grace and power, by the movement of the Spirit, that right now, you would reveal in my heart, in the heart of each one who is hearing, what good thing can be done for the enemy. What beneficial thing can be done today, this week, for the one who maybe is a hater, a name-caller, an abuser, that we, by your grace, would demonstrate to this broken world that we are children of the Most High God. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I invite you to sing this last song with me, Alas, and did my Savior bleed?
fill us with that love by the grace of your Son Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we may go live in our world in a way that represents you well. That your love poured out upon us would pour from us to all others, including those who are our enemies. May this be for your glory, for your honor. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go in peace. Working in this place